Okay, good evening everyone. Welcome to our evening Dhamma. Tonight we're looking at the second noble truth. The cause of suffering. Dukkha Sumudaya. This the cause of suffering. The, the whole idea of a cause sets the Buddha's teaching up as a, um, a cause-based religion, a cause-based philosophy, teaching. Uh, and, that, and that's important because there are philosophies, teachings, religions that believe in in superpowers and that's different from a cause-based religion because it it implies um, potency and it implies uh, agency the ability to control, to change, to to wield mastery over something. A cause-based teaching uh, is different from this, and 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 gets in the way of the idea of a of a master or a god. It conflicts with it. Right, so it's 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 on the side of science, which tries to see order and an impersonal order. So the order is not dictated by someone's whim ultimately, but our whims, on the other hand, are a part of the system. That the system has some rules to it, some nature to it. So, uh, for example, if if there were an omnip omnipotent being, then there could never be a cause for suffering, because the omnipotent being could change it, could say, "Oh wait, I think today will." make this the cause of suffering, right? As soon as you say there's a cause for suffering, I mean, if in in the sense that we do in Buddhism, we're, we're going against that idea. I mean, this isn't really what the Four Noble Truths are about, but it's an important point. Such that um, just, just describing this... Um, This nature, or this this quality of the Buddha's teaching, was enough to lead Moggallana and Sariputta to become Sotapanna. They just heard that that the Buddha taught cause and effect, and it was such a novel idea. It was just what they were looking for. It was all they needed to see the truth, to let go. 
so I think the implications of it are not uh, are not easy to appreciate. It's hard to understand how how a simple statement ye dhamma hetu bhava whatever dhammas arise by a cause the, the the Buddha has taught their cause and the cessation of the cause. And just that was enough for them to become Sotapanna. So the whole reason why the cause of suffering is is craving is because it's out of line with reality. When you want something, whatever you want, you're going against this idea of, of order. Right? What a want has nothing to do with the way things are. If you consider and and it's it's such a profound truth that uh, or it's such a, 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 a an important or a fundamental reality that that it makes it makes almost no sense to us. The idea that craving uh, in 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 its very nature, it's out of touch with reality. I think this is something new to most people. I mean, you can think philosophically about how craving is. Yes, yes, if you want things, you, you'll end up sometimes not getting what you want, but sometimes you'll get what you want. But we don't go the, the, the distance and to understand that by its very nature, craving is out of wanting, is out of touch with reality. The Buddha said, "Ignorance is the cause of, of, of the cause of craving. It's only through ignorance that that we want things. It's 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 based on a misunderstanding of reality." I mean, the most sensible way of, of living with reality is is something quite foreign to most people, but the most sensible way is to be in touch with reality. I mean, this whole teaching on mindfulness, what does it mean? It's the alternative to wanting, really. Wanting is the, the pushing and the pulling. The inclining manipulating mindfulness is the ad adjusting and, and adapting accepting understanding the being right mindfulness is now it's changing like this now it's changing like that wanting is may it not change like this may it change like that and there's 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 a real difference there, and we have to understand that these are two fundamentally different ways of approaching life. They're really the two options. And the Buddha saw saw in his wisdom that the option of craving is the cause for suffering. The the choice to try and and manipulate and 
um, the way of of inclining, favoring, clinging, attaching. You know? This is a cause for suffering. He saw that it's based on this craving that all of our problems come about. All these things that, that the Buddha saw as a problem. Birth, you know, birth is caused by craving. We're only reborn because we have some desire left. The Buddha saw this. Old age, sickness, and death thereby come come from that. But you now, even if if we're not a Buddha or someone who can see those things, it's quite clear there's the other sorts of craving, or the other sorts of suffering that come from craving. Not getting what you want, getting what you don't want. You, know, you can't always get what you want. This is the harsh reality. I mean. It's set, it's set up in such a way to fail Craving is not static Where you say, I think today I'll, I'll want something I think today I'll want this Okay, enough of that, back to not wanting it It's not how it works It's habitual You want and it becomes a part of your personality Especially when you get what you want Getting what you want unavoidably leads to an increase in wanting and that that fact is crucial because if you could just keep wanting the same amount that would be fine every time you get what you want okay good tomorrow I'll want it again and I'll get it again good it doesn't work that way the next time you get what you want it's not enough your wanting has increased. So not only is it a do you, is it a problem when you don't get what you want, when reality doesn't provide the object of your desire, but also you need more. But getting the object of your desire is no longer enough. The object of your desire increases we never think of this option we never think of this as a viable way to live a viable way to approach reality to to just be no I suppose we, uh, in the abstract, we think of ourselves as, as most of the time just living. The truth is we're not. The truth is we're, we're not really living. We're, we're constantly losing track of reality, incessantly, repeatedly, getting lost in not how things are, but how we wish they were. And the and that that so on the one hand that's a problem because it's not going to be the way we want. So if you take the mind as the observer, as though we're in a car looking, watching as we as things go by, 
yeah, we're not always going to experience what we want, but it's worse than that, in fact. Because based on this want, we're not only going to wish and hope, hope I see this, I hope I see that, but we're going to take detours, and we're going to make things more complicated as we want more and more. This isn't theoretical, this is what's happening in the world right now. War is is almost entirely caused by greed. Crime, uh, family, domestic abuse. It's all caused by not getting what you want. By this, this, it's the reason why families fight. It's the reason why uh, spouses cheat on each other. It's the reason why families fight for sure. You start getting more and more selfish and cruel to each other manipulative and angry because you're not given what you want it's the cause of the raping of the natural world for resources, mining for resources, burning fuel tearing down forests, putting up cities driving here and there it's the cause of so much so much hustle and bustle so much complexity so much energy invested as a buddhist you, you when you when you begin to meditate you just realize you take a step back and look at society look at the world and say oh my that's all it is. There's nothing mystical or magical about human the human world. It's just a whole a whole heap of craving. And all the things, all the problems and stresses that come with it. It's all it's ever been. It's just gotten more and more complicated. How can we get what we want? And there's so so many. The Buddha said there are three kinds of craving that lead to further becoming. Craving for sensuality, and craving for becoming, and craving for non-becoming. craving for being and non-being. It's all craving. It's everything. All of our ambitions, all of our complicated uh, goals, wanting to be this, wanting to be that, wanting to be rich or famous, Wanting to become something, wanting to be born in heaven, wanting to be one with God. So there's the desire for sensuality, we just, we want beautiful sights, we have craving for sights and sounds and smells, tastes and feelings that are pleasant. 
desire for becoming is our ambitions, wanting to be rich and famous, our attachment to ourselves, our, our body, our mind, attachment to a personality. Desire for non-becoming is desire for things not to be. I wish I were taller, I wish I were smarter. I wish I didn't. I wish my I wish I had different parents or this kind of thing, you know. Uh I wish I could quit my job. I wish I could go live in the forest. I wish I could leave this, leave that. I wish I didn't have this or that. I wish the mosquitoes weren't buzzing around my ear. I wish I could just die. Suicide is a is this this kind of this sort of thing. Annihilationism, wishing for things to just end. Wishing and the funny thing, wishing for things to end is another kind of craving that that leads for things to come again. Because of the de the desire for things not to be, there will be more being. Special kinds of being that are more, I think, more void. But I'm not really sure exactly how that works in the in the bigger picture. But generally, you're going to be without when you want to be without. I think. So the the and remember for each of the truths there is a there is a a, a kicha, there is a task to be done. And the task in regards to the this, the cause of craving is to abandon it. You abandon it through mindfulness. You abandon it in favor of mindfulness. There are different kinds of abandoning. There's a, mindfulness is actually only a temporary abandoning. At the time when you're mindful, there's no craving. So it's abandoned. At the time when you're meditating in tranquility meditation, there's also no craving. When you enter into a trance, a jhana. But these, these kinds of, of abandoning are only temporary. And this is where you see the difference between tranquility and insight meditation. In tranquility meditation, yes, you abandon them. But so what? You know, they come back. When you leave the, the jhana, you're not any more free of them. But when you practice insight meditation, they're abandoned. But th the state of abandoning, because you're focused on the objects of your attend of your of your attraction you also see that those things are not worth clinging to. You see why they are causing you suffering, why the craving is not leading to satisfaction. Oh, because these things are based on cause and effect. You see that the craving increases, that the objects don't increase. The objects of your desire are, are ultimately finite and you start to understand these things because you're actually watching the process. 
And so the real abandoning is through wisdom, through seeing this, and ultimately through seeing Nibbana, which is something that um, is actually satisfying and peaceful. And when you see Nibbana, of course, that's the ultimate. The abandoning through leaving behind samsara is that when you say, oh, right, yes. Well, I guess that stuff isn't isn't useful anymore and now I've seen something better it's abandoned by seeing suffering by seeing the truth of suffering when you see the truth of suffering you, you abandon craving because you see the things that you cling to remember again the five aggregates you see them as suffering as again not not suffering inherently, but as something that is just going to just going to cause you to suffer if you cling to it. It's something that can't satisfy, that can't provide happiness. The attachment to it only leads to more attachment. It doesn't lead to greater happiness. It leads to more and more and more wanting, less and less and less pleasure. So I think it's important that we compare these two paths The path of mindfulness and the path of craving The way the way we look at the world It's how we're taught It's why we're born We're born because we think this way We think in terms of What do I want and how can I get it Instead of uh, What's happening And uh, I don't know, what is it you know? The mindful way Mindful way of seeing things as they are What's the cause, what's the result What's happening right now Mindfulness is just being Mindfulness is this pure state It's actually quite simple But for us it's like this I mean, Mindfulness has become a real buzzword It's something exalted and it is but only because we're so wretched We're so lost We're so caught up on the wrong path That this simple path The simple way of being For an arahant is just second nature First nature uh, It just seems so far away Up on the mountain Something we have to climb to the peak to get to Such a foreign concept which is really our problem it's not it's nothing hard to understand about mindfulness it's just we're really on the wrong path so second noble truth the cause of suffering that's craving craving is what leads to suffering because it's not in line with reality it's all about what we want and wish it could be rather than what it is and how we understand it, how we experience it. As a result, it leads to the world that we see around us. Stress, strife, suffering, dissatisfaction. So, that's the Dhamma for tonight. Thank you all for tuning in.
If there are any questions, I'm happy to answer them. I'm just going to go and see how many. Why is YouTube still offline? It still says it's offline. Oh, because I'm in, I'm logged in as the wrong person now. Let me see here. I think we are online. Yes, we are online. I created a new account. Um, I've been trying to figure out how to do this for a while, but or I, before I had tried before. So we can create a new channel and have managers. So I made Robin a manager which means more than one person can upload and, and curate the channel. So we now have a Siri Mongol International channel that would be good for putting together playlists. I mean, I'm not going to do any of that, but if we can get a group of people, all of our volunteers together, they could put together playlists and we could actually have um, some organization. Uh, so if anybody wants to volunteer, anyone who's Anyone who we know and trust, uh, we should talk about that on Slack, maybe. 47 people watching on YouTube, that's good. Okay, bunch of questions tonight. How does one deal with attachment to family? I find it almost impossible to lose the desire to see my daughter grow and live a happy life. Is this a form of desire that will eventually need to be overcome? It's not about overcoming desire. You eventually see that that desire is not helpful, useful, beneficial to you. And we approach this the wrong way. Again, it's I mean, this talk tonight hopefully shed some light on on this sort of question. Um, you know, your your attachment, your desire, is in the end. It's it's meaningless. It's it's not useful. It's not helpful. It's not the desire that makes you a good father or mother it's the it's the wisdom and the clarity of mind I, um, I think you know there's it's not easy being a mindful parent and I think in fact it it, it somehow eventually breaks down because you just don't have the capacity to care for uh, all, send them off to school in the morning and, and you know the, uh, get involved with them you see we're, we're dealing with two very different worlds the whole reproduction system and I don't mean the reproductive system, but the reproduction, the, the whole this whole system of giving birth and raising kids and so on is the wrong way. 
it's an artificial form of rebirth that we've created we're playing a game it's not real it's you have to get out of this remember we're not dealing with god here you have to get out of this idea that this was all preordained by some beneficent some uh, beneficent beneficent benevolent benevolent omnipotent being It's uh, it's us, you know. We've put this all together. We're playing a game. Okay, now I'll be the kid. My turn. I'll be your child this time. And so it breaks down when you start to meditate. You you you, you step back. Whoa! You say, you know, this is not the way to happiness. And, and you know, I think part of our attachment as parents is 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 based on a, a view, a belief in the system. A belief in the reproduction system, a a buying into it. Yes, I'm the father, I'm the mother, this is my child. I you know I now am the father, the mother, the parent. This is my child. Which is all kind of rubbish. It's all just a game we're playing. It's romantic. It's romance really. It's this romantic notion. It doesn't mean much. Which is very hard to see. Again, this is a good good example of how very different and how very in uh, in opposition these two paths are. But um, practically speaking, that, that's that's more theoretical. Practically speaking, it's not so dire or drastic. But you will find as you meditate that you're less attached. And I think this is it's good to point out this that this is the reason. And the reason is that it's not really meaningful. You being a parent, they're being a, them being a child. It's just a, it's just your romantic notion of how things are. And uh, I mean, I guess it sounds easy to, for me to say I've never been married or, or had children, not in this life. But I know people who have and who have said the same sorts of things. When they meditate, they get less. Like this woman came to me, she wanted me to teach her her son to meditate. She wanted me to help her son, she said. My son, she'd heard about me. Oh yeah, I'd been helping out at the Thai monastery in in California. And she came and said, okay, well, she wa wants me to help her son. I said, okay, I'll help your son. You come and meditate. I said, if you, me and I tried to explain to her that if you come and meditate, it will... Your relationship with him, with him, will be better. You'll be better able to to help him. She came, and you know, eventually I convinced her, and she came, tried it out, and eventually finished the course with me. And I saw her later and asked her, "How's your son?" He said, oh, "I don't, you know, I don't care. He's he's going his own way. He was grown up at the time. He wasn't a, a toddler by any means." And then, of course, there's Eva and, and Kinga. Kinga is this little girl who was conceived during well in between meditation courses it's very interesting she was pregnant with this girl when she came and did a course with us and so she's been raising this girl as a meditator and she's described some of the difficulties of it um, but I think some of the power as well this girl hasn't grown up Kinga hasn't grown up like any other girl 
because her mother was so mindful. But she's had to struggle with this sort of question and not really exactly the attachment because in fact, you know, she's noticed that she's not really attached, but she has this sense of obligation, which is I think reasonable. It is her responsibility and it's her lot in life to look after this girl. But the girl is just another person. It's not like it's her daughter. It's just a person who is under her care. I don't know if this is all that, if this is exactly the answer you're looking for. I think the most important thing for most people to keep in mind is not to, not that you have to let go, but that eventually you do let go. And that's a bold claim that you can test. You don't have to worry because if you let, if the only way you'll let go of it is if you see for yourself without me trying to convince you that it's not worth clinging to. If you still see that it's worth clinging to, there's no way anyone can make you let go of it. That's how mindfulness works. Should formal meditation and daily mindfulness begin to feel similar? Yes, absolutely. At the meditation conference, one of the neurologists stated that mindfulness is done without any energy or effort. Is that according to our tradition also? I mean, no, absolutely not. But you know how I talk about energy. It's important to, to differentiate between the forceful energy and and the uplifting energy. Um, it should feel effortless eventually. But but until you but that's because it's like when you're pedaling a bicycle right if you want to if you want to get up the hill you got to pedal really hard um so the point is we're we're lazy our default is lazy our default is slothful uh no no it, it's either slothful or the energy is focused in the wrong direction. Some people are too energetic. But um, the energy that we have to put out is to give up both the sloth slothfulness and the distraction, the, the, the excitement of too much energy. So it's not that it's... I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't say that it's done without any energy or effort, but that and once one is truly mindful it feels effortless it doesn't feel like any special energy need to be exerted but that's because one's pedaling one's pedaled the bike enough and is now coasting that's because one is perfectly tuned right it should feel as na the most natural thing in the world it really is Lately, no thoughts, images, or emotions arise to note. There is only the object of meditation, the abdomen. As his experiment, experience is impermanent. I wonder if this is a problem. Well, if you're wondering, then that's something. You can say wondering, wondering, worried, worried, concerned. If you feel quiet or calm, you should note that. Calm, calm, or quiet, quiet. Neutral feelings are still feelings. It's a feeling of calm. 
But no, it's not a problem. It's impermanence. You're seeing something new. It wasn't like this before, now it's like this. You're seeing how things can change. I have a question in regards to the first noble truth. Was being in the womb before birth and the nourishment that it's fed to the fetus have an impact on the mind-body experience throughout life? Yes, absolutely. In fact, you might say those are even more important because they're, they're formative. That's when the physical form is being formed. It'd be interesting to look into how the mind, the baby's mind, the experiences of the baby in the womb, the impact of those experiences on one's life, on the formation of the fetus, the formation of the physical body. If the mind is constantly being stressed, I would bet that there would be changes, probably not huge, but there would be changes to the physicality of the, of the baby because it's very formative. It's an interesting thought. Seems I don't have any evidence or, or of that, but it, it seems quite, quite likely. Of course, much there, there's much that is already decided. You know, the, the physical uh, DNA from the parents that one has already made a determination to get involved in. Uh, to to live in um, is already quite fixed, so it's not going to be huge be huge changes. But I bet there would be. I'm suffering from weight. I often eat very much and often unhealthy things. I also smoke and drink alcohol, and these things give me an option to escape the emptiness. What can I do when I meditate and I reach a pleasant condition? I then have thoughts, but this condition too is perishable. What can one cling to when everything is transient? Well, one doesn't cling, right? This is again, this talk today I think is what you're, you need as an answer. The whole way of looking at the world, of clinging, of trying to change, that the emptiness is a problem, that loneliness is a problem, that depression is a problem, they're not problems. That weight is a problem. Weight is, you know, what is weight? Weight is completely relative. I'm sure you weigh less than a, a great blue whale. And I'm sure that if you were up on, if you were on Mars, you would weigh a lot less. You don't have a problem with weight. Weight is not a problem. You could say that eating too much is a problem, but it's not really. The problem is craving. The problem is the way you look at the world. You look at the world in terms of what do I want and how can I get it? That's the wrong paradigm. <laughs> Google, my English is terrible. Well, thank you for the for putting out the effort. I hope that helped. That's all the questions for tonight. Thank you all for tuning in.